Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth here. It is time to focus on metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another dose of Focus on Metal. Once again, we have a great guest this week, the one, the only, Bob Nelbandian. We've had Bob on the show several times in the past, but of course, Bob remains extremely active in the uh, mighty metal community, not only as a podcaster and journalist with the Shockwaves Hard Radio podcast, as well as a Skull Sessions podcast, but also as a documentary filmmaker, not only with his Inside Metal series, but also uh, other things he's delving into as well. And we're going to get into all of that and more as we welcome Bob once again to the show. So with that, why don't we get right into our chat with Bob Nelbandian. Hey, hey, Scott. Hey, Bob. How we doing, man? Good. How's it going? Good. I've talked to you in freaking ages. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, and uh, and actually, I've now I've got Richie down here. As you finally get to talk to Richie. Ah, very cool. Very. Cool. <laughs> hey, Bob. <laughs> hail and kill. <laughs> hey, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <pal>. <laughs> Good to hear from you guys, man. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I've been checking out your show, and uh, man, I'm I'm loving it as usual. Are, are we on now, or are we? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I always make sure that I hit record, so that, you know, otherwise I end up forgetting <laughs> screw up. I've done that before. I've done that many times. I did that with a Pat Travers interview once. I had to redo the interview. I <laughs> forgot to hit record. But he was cool, and he came back and uh, did a great interview. So, yep. but uh, well, cool, cool. I think this is the first time I get to talk to both of you together. In fact, Richie, I don't know if we ever spoke. I know we've emailed back and forth for years. Bob, I've never spoken to you. Yeah, well, now you've got the pleasure to, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Bob, we'll get into Nam, right? I know you were you you had pictures of Nam all over the place. You and everyone else I've seen to be friends with on Facebook, and. Uh, you- it's fun because I, I don't, I, I maybe, I think I took maybe two pictures there, but if there's pictures floating around, it's everyone that took pictures of me there, which is great because I always forget to take pictures. You know, I'm not one of these, I mean, I got one of those, you know, the iPhone 6S, which takes great pictures, but I'm not the one to, hey, can I get a picture of you? Hey, can I get a picture of you? So I, I like, that's, that's one good thing about bringing a chick along or something, because they'll always take pictures of everything, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, this, you're, pictures of your food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, there, there were a few pictures. We had a good time. We were there Friday and Saturday and, uh, had a lot of fun. Yeah. You've been, you've been going there for many years, Bob, have you? Well, you know, I'm from, I grew up in Huntington beach, which is, uh, literally, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes from the Anaheim convention center. So we used to go in the eighties, dude, back in the eighties. I mean, it was always, it was always, you know, cool. You always had the rock stars, but I remember, you know, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen would show up and jam and, you know, people like that, Steve, I, you know, slash all the time, but it was cool. Cause it wasn't quite as busy. And then it, then it got real busy in like the uh, early 2000s when, uh, and then they made it r- real strict. So it, it got, got a little bit better, but yeah, throughout the nineties and, and into early 2000, you know, they were, it was a lot easier to get uh, tickets or you could, you could just pay to get passes, you know, or you could just say you're a press or whatever, or, you know, but uh, they, they've made it more difficult, which is actually good. Cause it's not 
nearly as crowded as it, as it used to be. So, uh, you, you know, you never know. I remember a couple of years ago, we were just eating dinner at the Hilton and they had like a, 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 a stage right there at the Hilton. This, this was probably about three, four years ago. And we just heard this dude on piano. And we're like going, man, this, this guy's awesome. And then we hear his voice and it's like, wow, that kind of sounds like Stevie Wonder. And then we see everyone go forward, and, and it was. It was Stevie Wonder. He just did a whole set, you know, right in front of us while we're having dinner there. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> wow. Did, did, did they tell was... Stevie he was at the Hilton, or did they say he was at the club? <laughs> no, he, he had no idea where he was. He just said, you're in a rehearsal room. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I've always wondered, now, you've been going to NAM for years. Um, I'm going to use an analogy, Bob. Do you know who Marshawn Lynch is? Who, Marshall and Lynch? No, Marshawn Lynch. He's, he was a Seattle Seahawks running back. Now, he, he was a great player and he hated the media, right? right. And he, he turned up at a Super Bowl press conference and they asked him why he was there. And he said, he just sat there and he said, I'm here because if I don't come there, I'm going to be fined, right? And his body language was terrible. Now, have you ever gone to NAM and seen a musician stand there and he's just there because he has to be there? And you know by looking at him that he'd rather be anywhere else. You know, most most musicians uh, really dig it, and they and they make their schedule around it. And I think it's not just to meet the fans, but it's kind of like you know, a, a musician going to Nam is like you know, a ten year old kid going to the candy store for the first time. You know, it's like they have everything there on display. The new, like for me, I could give a shit. I I'm not a musician, but I'm sure <laughs> Scott, if you were there, you'd be all over checking out all the gear and stuff. Oh, yeah. So. It, a it, lot of musicians like porn awards to me. It'd be like, you know, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of musicians, even if they're not going to do the autograph or meet and greet thing, they'll they'll be there just to check out the gear and and you know I, I think most people in the music business and the music industry they know they uh, this day and age you have to get out there and you know social media doesn't quite cut it. It's not you know that in person kind of. A deal, so it's it's good to get out and not just meet your fans, but you got everyone in the industry, and I think a lot of musicians that's where that's where they get their endorsements, and they know they got to go and kind of make a presence and uh, uh, you know meet all their um, endorsees and 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 uh, you know kiss ass or whatever, and uh, you know make sure they have good relations. So it, it, it's it, that's what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be a fan thing, you know, which is like really stupid. I mean, Nam is so fucking stupid because they they say they don't want regular public here they just want people in the industry yet they set up all these autograph sessions you know throughout the whole weekend well if you're in the industry you could you would really give a fuck about getting autographs it's all fans and people that want to go so of course you know all the fans are doing whatever they can to finagle you know passes or whatnot so you know, it's it's just kind of stupid the way they they do that. But anyway, yeah. Have you ever, you ever seen any any guy in there like just lose his shit in front of some musician? Like I'm not worthy. The Wayne's World moment. Nah, I haven't. I'm sure maybe there there's some. Um, you know, I never like stay in line for those things. You know, I'll run across. You know, uh, you know uh, whoever. You know, Dave Mustaine or Kerry King or. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Frankie Bello from Anthrax or whoever people I know or David Ellison and, you know, we'll hang out, say hi and this and that. But I don't disturb them if they're doing the autograph thing because there's like, you know, a shitload of people in line for them. But I'll just say hi and hey, Bob, and you know, oh, we'll catch up with you later or whatever. But, you know, you see a bunch of people in line that uh, are waiting to get autographs. So, uh, 
you know, I mean, who knows their reaction? I don't really check it out. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I, I love about it is, um, all the jams and all the concerts around it. Like they got the Randy Rhodes remember thing every year. That looks like it's killer. Well, you know, just the, what, what was really cool about Nam, I'll tell you is as of a few years ago, uh, you know, you know, Nam, the convention center surrounded by like six, like major hotels. You got the Hilton, which is the main hotel. That's where the party is in the uh, lobby, you know, and that's like the big party zone. Then you got the Marriott across the, across the way, not even across the street, just across the convention, you know, like a, you know, a hundred yard you know, walk or whatever. And then you have the uh, Sheraton and you have, you know, all these other hotels surrounding it. And they used to have all the bands play in the ballroom. So you didn't have to worry about driving or getting an Uber or a taxi or a Lyft or whatever and, and wait an hour to get a ride. You know, if you're drinking and partying, you just go up the escalator, go up to the ballroom, and you see Alice Cooper or, or Glenn Hughes uh, do a performance, which, uh, you know, we saw that or the first Dimebag uh, Daryl um, show. That that was the, the best. That had everyone jamming on it. That was at uh, NAM. And uh, but now you have to go to, you know, the, you have to you know drive 15 minutes or, you know, in some cases, a half hour to the venue. And it's just such a bitch getting out of that place. So we never make it out to the shows. And we always say we're gonna. I was supposed to go to the Grove. You know, in fact, I was on the list for the Grove. And, you know, I had, unfortunately, I'd seen Marty Friedman a couple nights before. And I got to hang out with him all night and, and, and uh, Tuesday. Because every time he comes into town, you know, we, ju we just totally hang out. Because, we, you know, he's in J Japan. So he rarely comes over. So, you know, I saw him in, in Oakland on Tuesday. And we hung out. And, uh. Uh, you know, uh, a good part of the night after the show. Uh, but I really want to see him at the Grove because he opened for the Metal Allegiance. And, you know, of course, a lot, a lot of friends were there. I was supposed to check out Gus G. I, I actually interviewed Gus uh, a little bit later, but they had, uh, you know, you, you know, the Metal Allegiance, all the people oh, that jammed oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, th you know that was a show, and then Zach did uh, a, a, a thing, but they had uh, various shows all throughout clubs and stuff, but, you know, and a lot of the stuff is happening at the same time. I mean, it was great in the in the hotel rooms. You would just go, you know, see, see, you know, Slash Jam or whatever at the Marriott for, you know, for a few songs, and you would, you know, walk out and uh, go to the other room and see Glenn Hughes jamming, you know, and it's all like walking distance. It, it was awesome, and they, they don't... For whatever reason, they don't do that anymore, yeah. probably because of the uh, hotels. Uh, they don't want, you know, to, to, to deal with having shows and setting up all that equipment. And, you know, because I mean, they put like a major stage and all the PAs. I mean, it's like seeing a major concert. Yeah, yeah. They, were they all free, Bob? Free shows? Were they paid for by, the, by, by NAM or sponsors? No, a lot of them used to be if you had a NAM, you would need a NAM badge. And sometimes you would have to get a ticket from like Schechter or Jackson or whoever's presenting the show. They got limited tickets just so they know it's not going to sell out. So a lot of them, they, they give out the free tickets. Like if, if you, you know, quote, know somebody, uh, you know, in the company or an endorsee of the company, uh, but I know, I think the, um, uh, the Grove, like the Metal Allegiance, I believe that might've even been open to the public cause they were selling tickets for that. Right. Yeah, that definitely was. They were, they promoted the hell out of that show. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a big place to Grove, actually. Yeah. They get, they always have a lot of different great gigs there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good Orange County place. <laughs> I mean, everything's closing up in LA. It seems like Orange County is like the place now. They got a lot of, uh, 
a lot of good venues. You know, my buddy Eddie does the House of Metal at uh, Malone's and, uh, you know, that's a nice size venue. And they got the Yoast. I haven't been there yet, but they did, were doing a lot of shows at the Yoast Theater. So, um, yeah, Orange County's um, got a lot of good good shit going on there. So, of course, you know, one thing that we haven't had you on in, in freaking ages is because you've just been busy as hell being uh, Mr. Documentary Filmmaker. Definitely want to get into uh, everything you've been doing uh, in that whole realm of the scene. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, it's... It's a lot of fun. I'm doing the, uh, you know, I, as, as I told you, the Rise of LA Thrash Metal is the third movie. Yeah, and that's being, that. yeah, that's looking really good. It's being edited now. Um, we just got to mess a little bit with the sequence and make it flow a little bit better than add in all the music and all the photos and video and, and tighten a lot of uh, the edits up. So uh, our uh, editor for this one, we're going back with... Uh, uh, Curtis, who's also in the band Snoo, mm -hmm. so um, he's he's quite busy doing his band thing. So I'm hoping uh, uh, next week he's really going to bog down and and you know get on this. But we're hoping to get this done in uh, in the next two months and have it ready for uh, at least a DVD. Should come out in summer. We hope to do like a uh, a big screening probably in like late spring. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's looking real good. And at the same time, I mean, I'm, uh, uh, you know, pretty much finished with the interviews for the Bay Area Inside Metal documentary. We, uh, uh, as, as you know, I've, I've been living up here in Sacramento, so which is a lot closer to San Francisco. It's about a two hour drive. And my uh, uh, my camera guy was fantastic. Alex, he's he's in San Jose. So uh, it's been a lot easier to, to do a lot of the interviews for the uh, Bay Area artists. So the only guy we really still need to nail is, is Mike Varney. And he's living in Vegas now. So he's an essential person we got to meet. And he's like, dude, I'd love to do it anytime. But, you know, I, I was hoping he would be at NAM, but he, he doesn't even come out for NAM anymore. So we're going to take a quick Vegas trip and nail a few, you know, a couple more interviews there and have that one wrapped up. And I'm currently, in fact, I was at NAM uh, doing a shitload of interviews. I didn't make it out to the floor that much. I was in the, we had the hotel room set up. We had like a little mini suite where there was a couch where we set up to do interviews. I've been working on a new one um, for Cleopatra Films uh, hired me. Uh, uh, Brian Pereira, great guy. I've, I've known him for a while. And, you know, Cleopatra's been around forever. They do a lot of the reissues and the box sets and uh, uh, a lot of great stuff. And uh, uh, he's getting, they're getting deep into the movie stuff. And he's you now a fan of the Inside Metal. And he hit me up about possibly doing a documentary. And we got around talking about some stuff. And uh, uh, he came up with the idea about branding. Uh, the working title, at least now, is, is Band vs. Brand. And it's basically about how branding of uh, an artist's name um, is more important these days than actually who's in the band, you know? Uh, hey, dude, as, Bob, so, Bob, are you going to interview Bobby Blotzer? <laughs> well, I, 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 that's obviously a big... You know, it used to be just the 70s bands. Like, you got Foreigner with, you know, Mick Jones, who's only in the band part-time, and, you know, now Blackfoot is going out with no original members with kind of uh, Ricky Medlock kind of uh, mentoring that and, you know, you know the Skinners and all those bands. And, you know, the 70s bands, okay, a, a lot of these guys have died off, but they're not in good health. But these 80s bands, the dramas they're going through, you know, with, with Blotzer and the rat thing and, you know, you got 
Frankie Benelli, the drummer in Quiet Riot, going out as as Quiet Riot. You know, because you know, if they went out on their own, they they maybe make five grand as to make you know twenty grand per show by using using the name, and and that's a big thing now, obviously. And uh, you know, you see a lot of the split bands, you know, whether it be Rad or Great White or L.A. Guns or Queensrÿche, or you know, it's it's just this drama. Uh, between the 80s bands and, and and all these guys are you know most of these guys are still around and able to perform but you know it's just a bickering or whatnot but they're all fighting for the name and it just shows how important the branding is and you know we also get into the fact that uh you know now a big topic is the hologram you know they did dio hologram in fact we we interviewed some ex members of dio and, and bjorn endglin from uh dio disciples who actually did that show in Bakken with the uh uh, Dio hologram and uh, you know they're talking about doing that with you know a lot of the you know Prince and you know David Bowie and whoever and you could basically do it you know Ziggy Stardust era Bowie you know and go out and get all these other unnamed musicians and have this hologram of, of Bowie but you know the point being is you know a lot of these these uh, you know particularly the classic rock musicians are are dying off and um you know, what's going to happen next? I mean, Gene and Paul, I've already said, once they retire, they're going to keep the KISS brand going. That's a, a, a moneymaker. It's going to, you know, uh, they're just going to get new young guys in the band and put them behind the makeup and, you know, do KISS. And, um, you know, it's, it's become a controversial issue. It's become, you know, something that people are all, you know, fighting for the rights for the name. And so it's... Uh, it's a good topic, and we're getting a lot of really, really good, um, you know, uh, insight about it from not just musicians, but from managers, from attorneys, uh, from publicists. Um, so um, I'm I'm pretty deep into that now, and uh, it's 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 something different, but something really cool. And and again, this isn't all metal, but seeing you know my background, it's <laughs> it's it's turning out to be mostly hard rock and metal. You know, we want to get a few more of the the classic rock bands. So there's still a lot of work to do on that one, but uh, that's that's kind of in in the making. But uh, but as far as uh, 2017, like I said, we got the rise of LA thrash metal which should be out on dvd by summer and then the uh, uh bay area one uh once we finish editing we're actually going right in to edit the the san francisco one uh so that should be out i would say uh like uh, autumn of uh, 2017 so i i seem to remember bob years ago and either of you two guys can tell me if i'm wrong but didn't Elvis's band go out with Elvis projected on the screen in the background and, and play shows? That I, I did hear something about that. In fact, we we talked to one of the the, the main uh, guys that that uh, he's been in the business for literally like 50, 40, 50 years, and he was talking about you know how that went way back with a lot of the fifties bands and the doo wop bands, and and they would do that, you know, and it was just. Uh, you know, and of course they've they've done that with the boy bands and all that stuff where there's just interchangeable uh musicians. Um, you know, and, and I remember the first time I remember Deep Purple came out in I believe nineteen eighty uh and played the Long Beach Arena, but it was Rod Evans Deep Purple. And he just got all these new cats. And of course Rod Evans only was in the first lineup. I mean, they did have that, you know, a, a hit with Hush. Yeah. Uh, and a minor hit with Kentucky Woman, but you know, I mean, it, you think Deep Purple, you think David Coverdale or Ian Gillen, and you think of Blackmore, and 
But, you know, uh, he got away with it. And on the ad, I just remember seeing this band does not feature and just went down the road. You know, Ian Pace, Jean Laura, Richie Black. (laughs) And it was hilarious. They had to put that on the ad. But they did that. And he was saying another one is Fleetwood Mac. You know, the uh, the manager had um, uh, Mick Fleetwood and McVie sign over the rights, you know, tricked him into signing over the rights to his name. So he had a fake Fleetwood Mac out on tour in the 70s. So th- this has been happening a while. But back then, it, you know, once the fans knew, it was just like, you know, I, I think Deep Purple did like that one show at, at uh, uh, Long Beach. I didn't go, but I know people that went and they just said it was a disaster. People were walking out. They said the band was horrible. They didn't look right. They were just like some guys off the street. And they just said it was bad. But, you know. Yeah, it's amazing, Bob. Like you listen to like Blotzer and all these guys now, and you actually like, you know, you'd say to yourself, "Do these guys actually believe the bullshit that they're actually spouting? That this is the best lineup with a band, and we're way better than the original, and blah blah blah." And I'm thinking, you're full of crap. You know, people remember the band as, like, most bands when you when you look at them, it's the front man and the guitar player, right? If you don't have either of them, you're you're fucked in my opinion yeah right? but sometimes well, think about back we went to see foreigner right yeah and and yeah. mick didn't even show up that night so there was nobody in the original foreigner and right. people they, around us were all like were awesome. man these guys can still rock i can't believe they can still do it and i'm thinking <laughs> they were great there is, there is nobody yeah. up there from the original band like well you, you know i mean what a lot of people say is you know as long as the band is great i mean the musicians and foreigner i mean kelly hansen does you know uh, uh, Lou Graham to the T. Same with the Journey singer. He sings, and you know, it's not like where bands, you know, would do something different, take a chance, and get a new vocalist. Like when when Ozzy left Sabbath and they got Dio, completely different singer that changed the whole sound, the whole vibe, the whole look of Black Sabbath. You know, uh, he was a strong entity. Same with like when uh, Hager joined. Van Halen, it was a completely different band in a sense. It was only one musician change. But, you know, when it comes to the lead singer, it it usually is that. But I think since, you know, maybe the 90s or late, I mean, I'll say with John Bush joining Anthrax, too, that was a bold move. I mean, John Bush is a completely different singer than Belladonna, and those albums are completely different sounding than the Belladonna era, but it was cool. It worked. It was, but now I think people are just looking at copycat, you know, uh, these tribute singers. I mean, since, uh, you know, Priest did with Ripper. I mean, Ripper's a great singer. He's got, you know, a bit of his own edge, but, you know, he he was a a Rob Halford, you know, clone, so to speak. uh, And that's why they, they got him. And since then, that's what everyone's been doing. I, I, you know, I I haven't seen the Blotzer Rat, but I, I do know, I guess Mitch Perry was, in the last uh, lineup, as well as uh, uh, Stacy Blades from LA Guns, I know they're fan. I know Mitch is an incredible guitar player, so I wouldn't doubt that the band doesn't sound great. In fact, people that have seen Rat said they sounded awesome. They sounded, you know, maybe better than what Rat might have sounded like toward the end because Rat was bickering. They didn't have their, uh, you know, they just weren't excited about going out on tour for a while, you know, and so. You know, the last few times I had seen Rat with with Piercy and a couple of the other guys, it was like, uh, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of people are looking to get younger guys in the band that could, uh, you know, uh, you know, play better and move better and have a better attitude where they could just 
basically, you know, they'll just kiss their ass. And, I, and I'm sure that's the case with Botzer. He's got these young guys in the band that'll just do what he says, you know, because he was, uh, you know, I've, I've never really, I've met Blotzer a couple of times. I don't know the guy, but they say the guy was just a tyrant to work with. And I'm sure that was a whole deal with Rat. I mean, they, they just, you know, and so many of these 80s bands, whether it be Queensryche or L.A. Guns or, you know, Great White, it's like, dude, can't can you just fucking get along? I mean, it, it, you know, you put up the original lineup together. I mean, a, a perfect case is when uh, Dokken went to um, uh, Japan. I mean, you know, they, boom. We'll give you a million bucks to form the original lineup. I mean, uh, we, we're actually interviewing uh, uh, some Japanese promoters and, and from Korea. You know, I work with a company out in Korea because it's interesting because they don't fall for that shit. They will. They want the original. They want the real deal. If they find out that it's not, you know, close enough to the original, they'll they'll cut it. They'll say, nope, we're not. You know, uh, we're not doing it. Sorry. You know, so I think it's the integrity of I mean, promoters here. They just want to make money. They just want to sell the place out. And they know that using rat on their marquee and in their ads and using the old pictures of rat, even though it's only Blotzer in the band, that's going to sell tickets. Most people probably don't know because let's face it. Most of the fans, uh, hard rock metal fans, 80s fans, they're not connoisseurs like we are. They don't, you know, they don't follow the band that closely. A lot of these, you know, women are middle-aged with kids, you know, that, uh, you know, just remember Rat from round and round the MTV area. They, they don't really know the band members. So a lot of times they don't know and they don't care as long as it sounds good. So it's, it's I mean, it's, it's definitely a uh, controversial thing. I mean, I like to see the real deal, obviously. You see, the, the one thing, Bob, that I, I'd say is, a lot of these bands are they're reforming and then they're coming back with different members and then they're reforming and coming back. And I'll give an example, right? Foreigner are going out this summer and Lou Graham is going to do select dates on the tour. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Now, the only thing I know, I, I'm thinking of, right, and I've never seen Foreigner, is what if the show I go to is not one of the dates? Mm. You know, and you're paying full whack for it. Now, I'm not, I've seen him with Kelly Hansen. He's brilliant, oh, right? Yeah. But this is the only chance I'm going to get to see Lou Graham. Right. And another example, like you mentioned, Dokken, right? So Dokken go over to Japan with the original lineup. Then they come back here with Don, John Levin, Chris McCarville and Mick Brown, right? And they're doing dates. Now, if you knew they were in Japan with the original lineup and you paid for a ticket and you walked into a club and there was no George Lynch and no Jeff Pilsen, you'd be kind of bummed because they're doing one one week and then the following week they're doing another one. And then in six months' time, they might go back to the original lineup again. You have no idea who you're even going to see anymore. You can go to Foreigner and see Jeff Pilsen. <laughs> <laughs> He's great in it. <laughs> exactly. He always shows well, up. I would think they would, they would say that. I mean, the problem with a lot of the promoters won't say it in the ads. They won't, you know, so you would have to go on the band's website or do some research or, you know, see news sites like Blabbermouth and the stuff. But you're right, the, 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 the typical uh, mainstream rock metal fan isn't going to go through those avenues. They're just going to, oh, cool, yeah. you know, Foreigner's plan. That's got to be the original, you know, I'm going to go see them, you know. And then it's funny because a lot of these people, when they see them, they tell me, oh, they sounded great. So so sounded great. It's like, you know, that's not Lou Graham. I mean, do the math. I mean, Kelly Hansen's got to be twenty years younger than him. I mean, wouldn't you think Lou Graham would be? You see one old guy up on stage, you know, Mick Jones, and all these younger guys, and you can't tell that that's a, a different band. You know, some people they just don't realize it. It's just like it's funny. I mean, it is weird what the promoters do to us. Remember when we went to see Queensrÿche, 
And we knew which Queens Rec we were getting because we were already scheduled to go and hang out with them. But there were so many people there that had no idea which Queens Rec they were actually going to see because even the ad had the wrong band's picture. Ticketmaster had the <laughs> Jeff Tate uh, version oh, of Queens Rec up, and it was the Todd Latore version. Much the much better version. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, they were awesome. I saw them with Armored Saint not too long ago. I mean, a lot of these bands are great. And look at uh, LaTorre is a perfect example. Again, a total clone of uh, Jeff Tate. But, you know, I saw Jeff Tate, well, it was a few years back, and he cannot hit the high notes that uh, LaTorre, too. I mean, that's why Jeff doesn't do, I mean, he keeps saying how he hates the old material. But I think the fact is he can't sing the old material. You know, you're not going to hear Rob Halford hitting the notes to uh, Exciter and uh a victim of changes, uh, you know, like he did in the day. And it's, it's, you know, it, it really comes down to the singer because they got the, the singer and the drummer, because they, they're the most physical, you know, a guitar player, you could be, you know, 90 year old, you know, like a Les Paul or whatever, and still just be flawless, you know, yeah. or BB King or whoever, you know, but uh, when it comes to the singer uh, with the with your, your voice, you know it, it gives an age and drummers too because they're pretty, you know, especially if if you know if it's a metal band, you know, you're pretty physical on the kit. So, you know, I think it's hardest for them. Yeah, and Bob, we're, you're a huge Richie Blackmore and a Rainbow fan. Where do you stand on what Richie is doing now with the lineup he's bringing out? Because Joel Lynn Turner can still sing now. I know, obviously, Ronnie's gone, but he's going out with as uh, a Roger Romero mm-hmm. and and a he's couple of guy, who's a great singer. But yeah. but you know, he's going out doing Rainbow and Deep Purple stuff with like a band that thirty years younger than him. What's your stance on that? Yeah, I mean, Ronnie Romero, he's he's a great singer. Again, it's it's kind of he's he could do the Dio and. He does all right with the uh, the Ian Gillen. You, you know, I lost. Uh, they had their chance to do it, and, and it. I, I know as a fact, it was in the works prior to Cozy Powell passing that they were going to do Blackmore, uh, Dio, and Powell. And I would hope they would have got Bob Daisy or Jimmy Bain at that time. And, um, you know, maybe Tony Carey, bring back the Rainbow Rising lineup or the Long Live Rock and Roll lineup. But just getting those three together, after Powell died, it just kind of lost interest. For me, if you're going to do a Rainbow reunion, D.O. Blackmore. I never cared for the Joel and Turner years. Yes, it might be the most popular radio-oriented Rainbow songs, the biggest hits and whatnot. But you know what? To me, I just lost it. I mean, it's just a flat-out money grab for Richie. I mean, it's been told that he's had some financial issues. I mean, look at this. The past 20 years, he's been doing the Blackmore's Night. You think those CDs sell, what, maybe 10,000? Yeah, Bob, it costs a lot of money. Heat up that castle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And all they're playing are Renaissance fairs. And, you know, I mean, what's he making per show? You know, I mean, in Europe, he he might make, you know, a lot more because of his name. But, you know, after after 20 years, people are like, okay, we've seen this. It's done. We've, you know, he knew he had to get back. It it was it was uh, evident that he would eventually get back into doing rock just for financial purposes, you know. So whatever. I, I, I really don't care because I, I could care less even if they got him and Joel and Turner. He should have got some of the original bands, whether it be Joel and Turner and definitely Bob Daisy because he's playing better than ever. He sounds great. He's 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 just awesome, and he would be great, uh, you know. And, of, of course, Jimmy Bain has passed on now. I mean, the only 
what I call really legitimate rock player there is is my good friend Jen Johansson on on keyboards. I mean, all the other guys are just from Blackmore's band, you know, except for Ronnie. I mean, and, and they don't even look good on stage. But I mean, there's no energy. There's just it's stupid. It, it looks so lame. I mean, you know, great vocals, but it's just not, you know, I, I got kind of excited at first, but then after I saw what it was, it's like, he yeah. should have definitely got some of the original guys. There's, there's no spontaneity to it at all. It's all over a Harrison. Yeah, again, it's Richie Blackmore's money grab. He knows if he could get young kids like that, he could pay them peanuts. They would just be happy as pigs and shit to go out on stage and headline Vakken and everywhere else and, and, and make next to nothing. And not to say that, you know, someone like Jolyn Turner or some of these other people would be at, or Graham Bonner. I, I, I know Graham, he's a very cool dude. I'm sure they wouldn't ask this extraordinary amount of money. But I don't think it's just the money. It's just, it's just the fact that he's got these kids that will just do whatever he says and they won't have any issues. They won't have any problems. He's dealt with them. He just wants it as easy and effortless to be. Let's make our money. And then that's what the business has come down to. Let's do the tour, make our money, go home and have enough money to live the next few years comfortably until we're broke again and we need to do it again. That's basically what it comes down to. We had Joe on the show uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and I asked him about the Richie Blackmore thing and he always wanted to do it. And Part of me was thinking, yeah, there's a financial thing to it. And I was I was kind of half hoping that you actually do really want to do it because you want to do it, you know. Yeah. And But again, you're, you're right, though. If you get Joel and Turner and these guys in, you got, you're going to pay more than the band he has now. It's all, mo- it's all money. And it is kind of, I mean, I, I love Blackmore. And, and, but, you know, Blackmore is Blackmore with his attitude. You, you got to take it with a grain of salt. He, he tricked Joel and Turner and David Coverdale. I, I would have, more than this, I would have loved to see a Deep Purple Mark III. Oh, because yeah. uh, you got David Coverdale, whose, whose voice is mm, a little bit shaky. But then you got Glenn Hughes, who can make up for it. Oh, yeah. Coverdale, Glenn Hughes, Ian Pace. You know, I, you know, of course, John Lord is gone. But you get, you know, Don Airy. I mean, that would be something, I think, real special because, as, as you know, I mean, Glenn Hughes still sounds amazing. He he looks great. He plays great. Uh, he could be um, lead the pack. But, you know, they're going to want money. They're going to want, you know, I mean, uh, Blackmore will make is, I'm sure, making more, even though that would probably have double or triple the attendance. He probably makes more money of, of him. Do, have, having just guys that he pays salary to, you know? Bob, they probably can't go. If they had done it, they probably couldn't have gone out as Deep Purple, though, because the other Deep Purple would have been still going, and Ian Pace was actually, he's still in that band, so it would have been hard for him to play Deep Purple with Coverdale and Blackmore and then play Deep Purple with Gillen and and Don Airy and, and Steve Morris and Roger He Gore. would have to, no, it would have to include Ian Pace. Ian Pace would have to agree to do the tour because uh, Ian is, is uh, you know, uh, an original member uh, of, of Purple. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, they could have done it if, if Ian, I'm, I'm sure if, if the money was right, Ian probably would have agreed to do at least a tour um, because Deep Purple is not that active, let's face it. I mean, they put an album out every few years and do, uh, you know, do small tours here and there. And, you know, they could have even done a thing where Ian Gillen could have come out and did half the set. That would have been great. Have Gillen come out, do half the set with Glover, have the whole, you know, all the active lineup, you know, coming out. But he could have got, you know, he could have got Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi out and done some Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I think the interest got lost after after uh, John Lord passed away too, because I think John Lord was kind of the he was always the headmaster when it came to all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, after his passing, you know, I I kind of figured, well, this isn't going to happen. So, you know, the Rainbow Reunion is not happening. The Deep Purple isn't so. Whatever. Got a couple of couple of questions before we let you go, Bob, about the, the trash thing. All the trash metal scenes seemed to be on the west coast and the east coast, and there was never seemed to be anything in the Midwest. Any ideas why? I don't know. I mean, I, I've never lived in the Midwest, so I don't know what they're I know they were just more into the traditional metal stuff, it seems. When you look at the festivals, right, that are on all over the states, all the hard rock eighties festivals are in the Midwest. Mm. And there's never any trash festivals there, really. And then all the trash metal bands are either from New York or from L.A. or San Francisco. And I've always wondered why. Was there never even a scene there? Did all the bands just migrate out of there, out to the, the coast? Well, people go where there's a scene, obviously. And everyone says, wow, there's so many great 80s metal, you know, hair metal artists or whatever that came out of the 80s in L.A. But the truth is, maybe only... 20% of them were from LA and the other 80% came from other states that, you know, came out to LA to make it. And they call themselves eighties bands, whether it be poison or guns and roses or whoever. So I think that could have been, you know, the same with thrash. I mean, people knew there was a thrash scene in uh, the Bay area in particular, because you had, uh, you know, Ron Quintana and all these great fanzines, and he did the KUSF radio show, and uh, the clubs were very, uh, you know, good to thrash. And so it, it, it built a scene, uh, you know, again, with the thrash, you get a lot of, you know, stage diving and slamming. So a lot of, you know, in L.A. it got banned, and, and that's the uh, one of the main things we're talking about, the rise of L.A. thrash metal and why I think San Francisco took the torch is because, San Francisco, you, you could do the Omni, you could do the Stone, you could be Exodus and do all those major clubs. And and the, the promoters were very um, uh, caring for the band. So were the managers and everyone else. If, if you were a thrash metal band in L.A., you were an outcast, man. And and uh, the club promoters did not want you playing their club. You got banned. You know, Suicidal got banned for several years in L.A. They couldn't perform in L.A. So you had that going on. So, um uh, that's why I think San Francisco got all the attention. In New York, you had Lemores and you had, you know, the, I, there was also a lot of punk because a lot of the punk crossover, you know, I think had a lot to do with it because a lot of the New York scene with, the, you know, the hardcore, the Cro-Mags, Agnostic Front, you know, Crumb Suckers and all that, they would do shows with Anthrax and Overkill and and uh, same with L.A. after. I mean, you saw DRI and uh, Slayer and, uh, you know, uh, Circle Jerks and uh, Fear and all these bands playing together. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it's more just the scene, you know, that uh, but. Uh, yeah. Now, now, in in San Francisco, Bob, would you had like um, a trash metal band opening for Y&T? Would you get that extreme bill? Uh, back then, yeah, I, I saw Metallica open for Y&T at the Woodstock. On their, uh, they had just come out with the Earthshaker album. So yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, a lot of the bands say they. I mean, that, usually those were the first shows they did was opening for uh, Y and T or, or Anvil Chorus or you know uh, progressive bands or, or whatever because there weren't any thrash bands to really play with in, in the beginning. But so no, that, that wasn't especially in the early '80s. That was you know common. We talked to like, you know, the guys in Striper, they were in Rock's regime. You know, they played with, uh, uh, you know, Metallica opening for them. Then they did a show with uh, Raven and Anthrax and they did a, you know, thrash metal festival in, in Holland. 
you know. So, uh, you know, they're actually featured in this this episode too, talking about you know their experience. So, um, yeah, back then you 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 would get that. Thinking now, you're you know you're a couple of titles in on, on the Inside Metal series and stuff. And I mean, I look at it and, and I think, holy crap! No one, what it takes just to edit up this show week to week, the the amount of content you have to like have to go through and, and like cut apart and all of that. Is it getting any easier? Have you guys kind of developed a, a workflow between you and Carl as to how, how this all works or is it still just kind of slogging through it? Cause it's gotta be a ton of content you guys do. Yeah. Carl, Carl's kind of got a method now. I mean, the first time on the, the pioneers, there was a lot of learning experience. None of us had done this before. Uh, Joe hadn't done any video work. He, he was an audio producer uh, but you know, uh, he was our, our uh, you know producer and cameraman, and then Carl took over with a lot of the the camera work and and editing, and you know Carl learned himself, and and so we definitely got a lot better and easier. But you know, thank God for Carl and the other editors that have been doing it because I'm a technical idiot. I have no <laughs> idea how to do any of that stuff. I mean, I edit the podcast, I can do the audio stuff, but. Basically, I make the notes. I go over all the footage, all the interviews, you know, go through, uh, you know, uh, 60, 70, 80 hours of interview footage and pick out the parts and make the notes and give the time codes, you know, to Carl. Carl, it does a rough edit, sequences uh, it. And then, you know, Carl and I, it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, the, the, the movie might be like five hours. So we look where we could trim this, where we could place this. Oh, this doesn't place too good here. Let's switch this here. So it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, this quote just doesn't work. Let's delete it or let's use it as a bonus the deleted scene, whatever. Um, you know, so there's a lot of shuffling around, you know, we got to make sure it kind of fits within the narration parts uh, so there's a lot of that. And then there's some stuff, you know, and, and, you know, I watched some of the movies and I think, oh, that clip doesn't really fit in, but it was a good clip. So we, you know, we, we kind of snuck it in somewhere, but, uh, we try to make it flow as good as possible. So it goes from that, we trim everything down. Then we get it to, uh, you know, uh, Rico did the last movie. We got Curtis again, doing this one. So we get it to him and then he, trims all the stuff up adds all the photos and then does the last minute this shuffling around with quotes okay this doesn't work out oh, we're still a little bit too long we got to cut this this section is unbalanced you know we try to balance out the sections a bit so it's just a lot of that it's, you know i describe it it's like you know if, if you're doing a five thousand piece puzzle you throw it out of the box and put everything together and you're just baffled you know for the first few days you're just baffled and you're like doing a little bit but once you're on a flow and you start getting it together and then the puzzle starts coming together then it's like oh okay and you just get on a flow and that's that's how carl works you know when he's on a flow he'll just work 12 hours straight and it's kind of that feeling like okay this is flowing now you know i don't want to stop because sometimes when you stop and you, you do it the next day you kind of forget and you kind of gotta you know have to replace yourself and you know so it's it's just a matter of getting in the good flow. Yeah, it, it is just amazing. I, I watch it and it's just like, holy crap, just the amount of work that it must be to to split that all up and and, and yeah, the, the flow always seems to work out really good where you know, all the conversations all coming out of all these different interviews, the way you guys cut them together, they seem to flow together as well and stuff. I mean, you guys do an amazing job at it. Thanks, thanks. You know, it was our choice to do that many interviews. 
I mean, Warren, our, our executive producer, the the owner of Metal Rock Films, he was pulling his hair out. He's like, dude, you got way too many interviews. What, you know, but we would interview someone and go, wow, we got to get so-and-so to talk about this. Or, you know, one of the guys who interviewed is friends with so-and-so. Oh, we got to get him. You know, we got, I mean, we could have went on forever. It's, you know, it's a point where you have to like, all right, we got, we got enough people already. Let's, let's start editing. But so we kind of put ourselves in that position and we kind of knew that, fuck, you know, the more interviews is the more footage you have to go through, the more edits you have to do, the more this and that. And, you know, but we wanted to make it complete. Yeah, we could have put it half-assed. We could have done, you know, just, you know, uh, 10 artists, interview 10 artists and boom, slap it together and, and, and put it out. Uh, but you know, we figure if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right and make it as good as possible. Yeah. Bob, have, have you ever had any of the musicians that you've interviewed come up to you after you've edited the movie and shown it and they're not in it, say, what the fuck? I'm not in it or I'm only in it for five seconds. <laughs> not, we tried to make everyone pretty much, uh, there were a couple people that only got one or two segments. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't personally heard from any of them. I don't know if any of them have, have said anything or is upset. But, you know, it's funny because we, we ne didn't base it on the, the popularity of the artist. We didn't say, OK, well, we got to put all, you know, most of the quotes have to be from Lars Ulrich and Don Dawkin and, you know, Stephen Piercy and so and so because they're the most popular. And, you know, a lot of people said, dude, what you know, I noticed you had a lot of striper and you had a lot of bruce boulet from racer x were they that big it was racer n and it wasn't the fact that racer i mean racer x were big god i mean they on a club level they were selling out everywhere but it's just the fact what he said just fit in it fit in with the flow you know he just said some good quotes or or whoever that we've we've got quite a bit of quotes from it's, it's a matter of getting the good quotes that fit in so that's really what it comes down to. We try to include everyone. Uh, I, I, everyone that we've interviewed, we've included. And I think everyone's got at least two quotes in there. Yeah, I know how it is. I mean, I, I was in, you know, Sam Dunn's thrash metal episode of, of uh, Metal Evolution. And we must have talked for like an hour and a half. Uh, at my house, and uh, I was in it for five seconds. It was my five <laughs> seconds, you know. But I was just happy to be in it. I mean, it was cool. But here you have a movie like his that's a half. That well, it's an hour show. But he said with they have to abide for commercials. So with all the commercials, they have it at thirty-seven minutes. And he says they were trimming just like literally half seconds off segments to make sure everything fit in because with vh1 they had it that strict it's got to be right at this time so obviously i mean you can't tell the thrash metal story in a 37 minute movie i mean we're we're doing the la thrash metal story and that's gonna also be a two dvd set so we're we're tech, talking just the la the los angeles thrash scene we got three hours to tell so that gives us a lot more freedom to tell a lot more of the story, to include a lot more of, say, the the, the lesser known bands or people that were involved and, and and add you know other stuff to it. So we don't have to be, you know, that crammed. And, and that was a cool thing that Warren did. You know, without we we, we tried to make pioneers into one movie, one DVD. But I, I just told him, I said, dude. He says, let's make it uh, 100 minutes. That's standard. That way, you know, we don't have to really cut it much. Don't make it more than 100. Do 90 to 100 at the most. You know, if you could do 80 minutes, that would be perfect, but can't go over 100. And 
I turned it in. It was, it was like 120. It was like an, a, two hours, you know, and it still just it didn't flow right. It didn't work. And I said, dude, I just can't do it. I said, it's just I don't want to put it out like this. There's shit missing. It just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't flow. And then he said, well, fuck it. Just do two volumes. And I'm like, oh, all right. You know, that makes sense. I mean, it was, it's kind of a, you know, I mean, for him, he's probably like thinking, oh, I got two movies, you know, I'll make, you know, uh, but it, it really, I think it really works that way. So we did two like 80 minute movies and, um, you know, then we added all the special features and all to the DVDs. But again, we wanted to make it the complete story and we figured, um, you know, well, since we did the pioneers in two, let's do, I mean, the LA metal scene explode has, has almost twice as many interviews as Pioneers. So we made that too, and we're going to make the uh, Rise of LA Thrash Metal in the Bay Area also two DVD sets. So that's kind of our thing. Each title will be a part one and a part two. Now, as, as we're talking about Trash Bob, final question for me. Now, and I asked Joel McIver the same question a few weeks ago. That dick. Fuck <laughs> that <laughs> bastard. Yeah. Uh, Joel. Uh, Joel's bro- great. We always go at it. Yeah. But, um, the, tra- all, the big four and Testament and Dead Angel and Overkill and all these trash bands in the last 14 months, they've all brought out new albums. Now, you've done the documentary on the L.A. scene. What, why do you still think that the, the trash bands want to bring out new music when all the rest of them don't really want to bother? Because the, the, they put out fucking killer albums and they don't have the stupid ass drama that all these 80s fucking hair bands have. Uh, it's, it's funny, and, and, and we talk about this quite a bit. When Thrash came out, when Metallica and then you know Megadeth and uh, Anthrax and uh, Slayer first started, they were they were considered a joke. No one wanted anyone to do with them. It was just us, the fanzines. When I did Headbanger, we were their only support system. None of the major labels wanted anything to do with them. They were considered just second rate. Oh, it's not going to last. Not, everyone thought that these bands were just a flash in the pan, you know, kind of thing. Over the years, you know, uh, uh, obviously through the 80s and into the early 90s, you know, most of the, the you know, I, I hate the term hair bands, but that's what people used to describe it. The 80s, you know, the the the, the Poisons, the Motleys, the Skid Rows, the, all these uh, type of bands, the Dawkins, you know, they were the ones selling double, triple, you know, platinum albums, uh throughout it everyone thought oh that's they're they're the big bands they're gonna last they're gonna have the van halen the led zeppelin careers you know and uh you know give it 20 30 years after it's the thrash bands that have survived that have uh you know stayed consistent and without shuffling around i mean sure a lot of these thrash bands had you know slayer had a few members i mean jeff obviously passed away and uh, you know, you had, uh, you know, and of course Megadeth, but Megadeth, the core was always Dave Mustaine and, and David Ellison, I felt. So, uh, you know, because they had always shifted members from there since their uh, first couple albums. So they kept it together consistently because they don't deal with all that bullshit drama. They had more of a focus, more of a vision. And, and I'll say same with Overkill, same with Exodus, same with, you know, you know, going outside the Big Four, Testament, Death Angel. These bands are putting some of their best albums out. I mean, you listen to their new shit, and it's not like they're just going through the motions, just putting something out just as an excuse to tour. It's like, you know, that last Anthrax album, the last two Anthrax, these are fucking great albums. They yep. put the last Megadeth album, I mean, the last several albums. You know, th- these bands haven't just 
you know, okay, let's get together. We need to tour, so let's put a record together to give us an excuse to go on the road. And they put this half-assed record together that's got maybe one or two decent songs. The rest of it is just complete shit. And they just, they, they're not rehearsed. They're just, they just, it's just a money grab. But the thrash bands have really taken it seriously. And, and, and you go down the board, man. I mean, Testament, Death Angel, uh, Exodus, uh, you know, of course, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, Metallica. The last Metallica album is, is huge. All those bands are putting out music just as good or better than they have, you know, in the past 20 years. Yeah, you could make the case, Bob, that the likes of Death Angel and Testament and Overkill, they're actually making better music than the big four guys are now. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't go to say better. I mean, obviously, it depends upon the, the you know, your taste in the bands. But I mean, absolutely, it's 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 killer stuff. And it's uh, definitely, um, you know, it's still they got that identity. It's not like they've change their sound i mean a lot of the bands through the 90s whether it be slayer metallica of course megadeth you know and even anthrax they all changed to try to fit in i think now the bands are just saying and which is good because they know the albums aren't selling they know they don't have to follow they're not getting radio play they're not getting mtv so i think now they could just really focus on let's do what we do best let's let's be ourselves we don't have that pressure from the record labels. We don't have that pressure from management or from MTV or from the radio station saying, you know, you need a radio friendly song to do this. They're just like, fuck it. Let's just make a great album. And, and that's the great thing about, you know, people say about, well, the internet and blah, 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 you know, there's a good and a bad. Yeah. They're not selling as many records, but I don't think they'd be putting out as good quality albums as they are now. If they were on a major label and, had to you know uh, you know cater to radio and MTV or whatever so yeah. it's it's all good I mean it worked out I mean it's it's just great seeing I mean I think it's fantastic seeing all these bands out there you know making a good living having fun and getting it together and then you just see these hair metal bands just it's, it's just a joke it's like fuck yeah you yeah. know plus uh, plus they have all their original frontman or and guitar player are are their most well known members you don't have the drummer going out as a trash metal band with all these guys you know exactly exactly <laughs> hey maybe Blotzer could form a thrash band bobby Blotzer slayer <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine him trying to play Angel of Death? <laughs> that, uh, that would be something to watch. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh, hilarious. Oh, wow. As I say, you guys should definitely come out to Nam. I mean, you guys could get a shitload of interviews, and you guys would have a blast out there, man. Bob, we've been invited out to, we've got three or four people who want to bring us to Vegas for raiding the Rock Vault. We've been asked by yeah. loads of people to get out there. We, uh, we wife and kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I stay single. It's <laughs> you and Neely. I got no money, but I got I can do whatever the fuck I want. So you kind of. <laughs> I mean, uh, seriously, if I had a regular, I mean, I've I've had I, I've had to turn down some really good job offers because I'm dedicated to this, and and I'll just tell the people out there that think, oh man, you must be making good money. You're doing all this. No, I'm not. Bob, I, I wish I was. Bob, I thought you were going to say I turned down some really good women. <laughs> well, no, I, I would never do that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't turn them down. I wouldn't marry them. But, uh, <laughs> I would tell them I would. And then, you know, then later say, later, I'm got my uh, documentaries I got to do. But no, I have a commitment to do this and I'm, I'm going to do it. And I can't really... 
uh, you know, I know my limit. I mean, dude, I would love to do the podcast. I've been listening to you guys' podcasts. I mean, uh, it was fun. I was just listening to the I'm, – I'm getting caught up. I was listening to the Joey one, and first thing you do is bring up my documentary, which was awesome. That was really kind of you guys. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I – you know, I – I have. I, I would love to get back and doing the podcast mm. again, but I just can't devote enough time to do it. I listen to all these other great podcasts. I mean, all the ones that we had on the Cast Iron Ring. You know, uh, the one that John does, the one that Victor does, and you know, of course, the Classic Metal Show, uh, the Rock and Roll Geek Show. You know, I got them all on my uh, on my iTunes, and uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know constantly uh, listening to the Classic Metal Show and. You know, I get to your shows and it's like, oh, fuck, it's, you know, two hours. Because I, I like to do listen to the things all the way through. So I, I have it in my car. I usually listen at breakfast or in my car. But when I listen to yours, I can't stop. It's like, fuck, especially when you guys interview the producers and do uh, different stuff like that. Like with- Well, I, I think, Bob, you're going to like um, the one we're doing now. We just posted it tonight. We're doing a project on uh, 80s Kerrang. And the first, oh, the first awesome. guy we have is Malcolm Dome, who you... <laughs> sent me the information on, and he was fantastic. Oh, Malcolm's the best, yeah. And he's he's, he's been with Thrash one quite a bit, too. Yeah, so I got like, I, I, we've got six or seven guys hopefully hooked up with that, and we're just going to interview them all through the year and talk about 80s Kerrang, like the heyday of the magazine. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Wow, that, that will be something I'll definitely listen to. Yeah, so Malcolm's episode is up. If you want to have a listen oh, to that, it okay. it's, on, it's, will, a, it's an hour. It's not four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get an interview or an interview, an email? You got to keep me on your email list, guys, because otherwise I get lost. I right. do usually have it. it, it uh, yeah. This there's Wednesdays where I, I forget to send out the uh, the email blast to the list. And uh, today was another one of those Wednesdays where uh, I forgot to send the email out. But yeah, I, I got to get back in the habit of doing that. I will definitely check that out. I'll have to. Uh, Gather them all up, put them in my iPod so I can listen to it in my car. Nice. But you guys, you guys are doing a great job. And to, to all the other, you know, podcasters I've mentioned. And I, I really like the the group we had with it with the Cast Iron Ring. I mean, all those podcasts were great and it's just really cool. I mean, you guys are really keeping it's like I feel like I'm missing out by not doing, you know, the the skull. I mean, I I do the shockwaves. The Shockwaves Hard Radio, I'm, I'm putting one. I, I, in fact, I got a, I did an interview with uh, Bobby Blitz and a few others. I, I got a post. I, I was supposed to post it before NAM, but you know me. I, I post it you know, a month late you know, all the time. So uh, I, I just don't have the time to, to be consistent. But the Skull Sessions, I loved doing that with all the different people. But that was a lot of work, you know, putting that together. And when you're not getting paid, you know, you kind of have to balance it out. Well, you know, your, your priorities and with, with the documentaries, it, 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 it really is a full-time job with minimum wage, less than minimum wage pay. So, you know, you just got to, you know, make the, the most of it. And, uh, uh, but I'm enjoying it. I'm single. I, I'm not tied down. <laughs> I go out to the NAM show. I go out to the Bay area. I do whatever I want. So, Hey, drink whenever fine. you want. Exactly. So I, I don't mean to come off like I'm complaining or bitching. I chose, no, Joseph, we, we, we have, Bob, we're, we're complaining and bitching. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, you know how it is, Bob. I'll, I'll probably shortly be able to come out and have a visit with you. So, yeah. all right, <laughs> dude. Anytime, you're more than welcome. Yeah, that'll be that'll be great. You know, hey. it's uh, but it, it is great to always have you on. It's been ages, and I and like I know it's it's uh, you know, you've been crazy busy, and uh, it's been great to get you on, and also to promote the stuff too, because I know I really haven't been able to hook up with Carl and get Carl on. 
So uh, just you know, getting the word out on everything that you guys are doing as well, and letting people know, hey, that you know the next the next Inside Metal is is on its way, and it's it's great stuff. And obviously, talking so much about thrash, you know, anyone who doesn't know you already can tell. Wow, you're going to be here's someone who's really passionate about the LA thrash scene, and and that's definitely going to guarantee a great documentary. I think so. I think it'll be good. I think it'll, and and we've got a lot of the more underground artists and stuff on it, and uh, I think it really will tell the story that a lot of people don't know because. Uh, you know, again, like I said, you know, everyone concentrated on the Bay Area, and I think LA just got so oversaturated with the whole glam and hair metal thing of the early '80s. That, uh, but there was a big thrash scene. It was it was on the outskirts. It was you know in in, in South Central LA and Long Beach and all these uh, East LA, all these you know crazy weird venues because they couldn't play. The, I mean, they they play the Troubadour and all these for a while then they just get banned from all these clubs so they had to you know so it, it, it's good it's it's definitely a, a historic piece <laughs> nice nice well cool uh, glad you're able to take some some time away from your busy schedule and uh, be able to just some talk some metal with us and like i said it's always great to be able to talk to you it's been wait way too long absolutely i always love the conversation you know we could talk for hours oh yeah but uh, i appreciate all the support you've given uh to the inside metal documentaries and uh to everything i've been involved with and uh uh you need anything you just let me know scott and richie we'll, will. we'll do bob all right bob all right have all a right. good have a good rest of the night you can do whatever you want now <laughs> all right <laughs> all right bob there you go another discussion with bob nalbandian as we said to bob always great to have him on the show he is definitely one of the inspirations behind the show it's very cool to actually become friends with some of the podcasters that really got you into doing the thing and you know for years i listened to bob both the shockwaves and the skull sessions and to see the guy get the recognition that he deserves as a true pioneer of podcasting is uh, is very cool if you want to keep up on the inside metal series you're best bet is to go to metalrockfilms.com you can get both volumes one and two of parts one and two of the inside metal series you can also get the uh, your own copy of metal messiah up there as well and they also have some very cool merch bundles as well and of course you can always get all of those great dvds up on amazon and if you happen to be up on amazon another very cool thing you can get there is uh, issue number one of the headbanger that's right, Bob has a Kindle edition available of The Headbanger. It's got uh, articles in there on Girls' School and Steeler and Rat, Randy Rhodes, Iron Maiden. So uh, great stuff from back in the day, back when Bob did the uh, fanzine The Headbanger. And uh, you can get that as a Kindle edition right from Amazon. You can also follow Bob on Twitter at uh, ShockwavesMTL, or there's also the Inside LA Metal Doc up on Twitter as well. And of course, you can always hook up with the guy on Facebook. But no matter what you do, as I've said many times before, do yourself a favor and go out and buy yourself some copies of uh, the Inside Metal series. Just really great in-depth stuff and uh, I don't know how long Bob's going to be doing this, probably for years, as he makes his way to uh, all the different uh, metal scenes and genres and really gives us the behind-the-scenes, down-and-dirty story of metal. And, you know, I know Sam Dunn did a great job with his uh, documentaries, but uh, Bob gets to expand on that so much more, and, and he even talks about it in the interview as well. So, uh, as I said, big thanks to Bob for coming on. Not sure what's on tap for next week. Richie's been very, very busy scheduling all kinds of interviews and then uh, then having to do the extra bit of scheduling of trying to get my ass parked in front of a microphone and a mixing board to do them. We already have a few things uh, already in the can. Just got to edit them up. And I just got to 
speak with the man and decide what we're going to roll out for you next week. But in the meantime, for everybody here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.